Hey, welcome to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and want to share the message of hope that he brings for all people. We pray that you're blessed by this word and that it reveals God's love for you in a new way. Enjoy. Beautiful. All right. Well, welcome to a very special Mother's Day edition of Banter. Today we've got some guests with us. We've got Rach, which is lovely to have you here. Welcome. Hi. And we've Hi. got Angie, the uh, honorary, well, we call you the holy nonna around here. Ah, <laughs> uh, buongiorno. Oh, no. I actually think that's rough because like, I reckon we're old enough to be your kids, not your, not your grandkids. That's I a bit look, rough. So. Nonna's fine. I love it. What's Italian, Italian for mom? Mamma. Oh, mama. <laughs> the holy mama. Mama, no, no, no. And great grandmother is bisnonna. So there you go. Yeah. There you go. Well, you're definitely not a bisnonna yet. No. <laughs> so, welcome. It's uh, very exciting to have you here. What were your mother's days like? What did oh, you get up to? Well, I was thoroughly spoiled. Our, our son, Maddie, cooked not only for me, but for his, his sister, who's also a mum, Jess, and also for my mother in law. So that worked out really well because I went to one spot. And um, and Maddie looked after everything, and it was just beautiful. So we really enjoyed my my mother-in-law and uh, my uh, daughter, as well as the little grandkids, all in one spot. It was lovely. So good. Mm. Arrange what was your your Mother's Day after you know having to do your husband's <laughs> job and preach in the morning, just <laughs> I, carrying well, his weight. No, let's be honest. <laughs> most of it, like a really a few good things happened in the morning. I got sent back to bed for breakfast in the Ooh. bed. I got out of bed and I was like, <laughs> go back, go back. Um, and I had pancakes and coffee. Um, and then after church, we actually did some gardening. And I've got some nice scratches on my arms yes. to, you know, as war wounds. Um, we pulled down a hedge and, you know, did something with our hands and, you know, tore it apart. It was great. It was Amazing. nice. Nice to actually get the eyesore cleared. Yes. Right. And who, who has the green thumb out of you and Mitch? Rachel. I wouldn't say either has had yeah. a great green thumb, <laughs> but mine's definitely better than yeah, mine's very much black. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Maybe you've got like a yellowy, greeny thumb. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah most yeah. of my plants leaves <laughs> turn yellow, yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. No, cool. Very nice. Um, yeah. Well, I think like I really loved the uniqueness that like the three of you guys brought mm. in you, Carrie and Sharon, and yeah, just mm. three very like unique sort of takes. Um, so for you, Rachel, what was sort of your process in figuring out, you know, what you want to speak on and, and what, where you finally got mm. to? I think, you know, um, getting asked is always like super daunting, to be honest, because it's only the second time that I've got up in front of the Dural congregation mm. to, to share. And the first time was about my testimony. Mm. And I think I wanted to do something that wasn't more of about me, <laughs> um, what struck me was when you asked me was we want to talk about the mothers in the Bible or the mother figures. And I was like, Oh my goodness, there's so many mm. people that you could talk about. And there's so many passages that you can look to. Um, but the first thing that came to mind was Proverbs 31. Mm. You know, we talk, we've talked about Proverbs 31 mm. multiple times throughout my you know childhood. And as I've gotten older, as I've grown into a woman mm. um, and what it looks like to be a woman of God. And this is kind of like a good guide but it's also a really tricky list to live up to so um as per usual I started talking to Mitch about um what I wanted to talk about and I was like Mitch I have no idea what to do and I was like this is kind of where I what I feel like um and we and he's like oh did you know that you know in the Hebrew Bible that Ruth 
comes after Proverbs 31. I was mm. like, what? Mm. What? The thing, you know, to be honest, I don't always, not everything sinks in <laughs> yeah. my brain yeah, yeah, when yeah. Mitch talks. Yeah. Um, I get him 24-7, seven days a week. Like, that Love sounds great. Him. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> Love him. But when I need to talk about daily life things, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a bit like, oh, yeah. uh, come on, let's just focus on what we need to get done this this yeah. week. I've got those moments with M where yeah. she's like, babe, I'm just not in for like deep theology right yeah. now. Yeah. Like I'm trying to cook some pasta. Like could you just, yeah. Just take a step back. So there you go. Yes. No, but it was great because it meant that we then straight away I had something that I could actually start yes. talking about because I love the book of Ruth. Yeah. Loved it forever because I love the relationship um, that Ruth builds with Naomi and then how Naomi supports her with, yeah. the, with Boaz and then the flow on effect of that. Yeah. Um, and it's pretty amazing because, you know, that's kind of a pinnacle point in Jesus's um, genealogy. Yeah. Like, and how amazing is that? So, you know, to be able to stop and actually look at Ruth mm. and Proverbs 31 together mm. was kind of eye-opening because, mm. you know, I wouldn't necessarily look at Ruth and go, oh, she's a, you know, a woman of noble character, like a wife of a noble character. Mm. But all of a sudden, as you go through the passage of Proverbs, you see all these characteristics that she is actually being, you know, the epitome of. So, yeah. yeah. So but mm. as I mentioned on Sunday, something else that was really interesting was a Moabite woman and Ruth being Moabite, it, they're not, they're like the the people you stamp on. Like, they were not held in high esteem mm. in mm. any way, yeah. shape or form. And for her to be brought up, I know you're itching, Mitch is no, itching no, to no, say no, something. No, I'm, like, like, I'm agreeing yeah. with you. I'm like, I preach you know, it. It's so, like, it's amazing to kind of see that and mm. see how that plays out. I feel like that's that's a, a common theme in the Bible of mm. people that we don't necessarily see being someone of high esteem, but God's still using them and utilising mm. them to excel his kingdom and yeah. to create this beautiful picture of what life should be should be like and so how good. it looks so yeah no mm-hmm. there you go that's a bit of my process <laughs> yeah, so, good. so good yeah so yeah this was um i feel like maybe i was told it at college but it was like i'd forgotten it when you know rach said mm. oh like this feeding from proverbs into ruth so yeah like what's sort of your insight mitch mm. into like the I mean, like the, the the book ends like Proverbs with this like poem yeah. as well. Really. Yeah. What's your What's your sort of like insight in that? Yeah. So I think how the writings are structured, like that's the third part of the Hebrew Bible. Mm. It's all kind of focused a lot on David, mm. and so drawing out kind of his line, because because obviously Proverbs thirty one's not written by Solomon, but we just say Proverbs. So the whole is like Solomon, the Proverbs of Solomon. So there's this sort of Davidic idea. And Ruth connecting in with that is mm. showing how, uh, yeah, like part of David's line is actually a bit like Jesus, scandalous. Mm. Yeah. So Ruth's actually full of lots of tension. Mm. Um, in, in Deuteronomy, it says the Moabites are not allowed in the assembly until the 10th generation. And so, so Boaz has to make this choice. Is Ruth able to come in? Is she mm. part of the 10th generation? Mm. Because, yeah, if she's not, then it creates all sorts of issues and dilemmas and in fact Phineas the high priest he's the one who spears the Moabite woman yeah. and the Israelite man that's what they were known for these yeah. adulteresses and dangerous people so the fact that Boaz actually accepts Ruth yeah it's this huge thing and that that David's line has a Moabite in it it's quite 
scandalous. Yeah. But we actually see, ironically, Ruth behaves more honorably than some Israelites. Yeah. And, that, and that's a bit of a theme throughout Jesus' genealogy. We see the women who are Gentiles but act more honorably than Israelites. Mm. And even even the prayer when they about to get married is like, may you have children like Tamar. And if you know Tamar, she had incestuous relations with her father-in-law Judah. And it's yeah. like, wow. So yeah, yeah. No, and it's like really interesting as well. I think with the story of Ruth because it kind of focuses on this like relational dynamic of like mother-in-laws as well. Mm. Like, I don't know for you guys, but like growing up on like Everyone Loves Raymond and all these kind of like <laughs> archetypes of the mother-in-law, like this is kind of like culturally quite set apart. I mean, that's, I think it, I don't know what's like in other cultures because I've only grown up in Australia, but like definitely in the West, like this idea of the mother-in-law is someone who you sort of like disrespect, <laughs> someone who's a bit of like a butt of a joke. Not, not, in, not in Italy. No? If you value your life, you wouldn't do it. <laughs> No, they're highly respected, the, the, especially um, with the boys respecting their mothers. Yeah. And there's some relationships, unfortunately, even though the, the, the son marries a wife, the mother is still, in some cases, even more important than the wife, which, you know, it's hard to believe. But yeah. there are some, I mean, we're talking older generations yeah. where they, they hold the mother in high, high esteem. Yeah. So really interesting. very difficult for the, the wife, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what does that then kind of like create, like culturally, there's still like that respect for like mother-in-laws as well? Or is yep. there, so there's not like this trope of like, oh, the overbearing mother-in-law? No, or? not really. Although there might be underlying feelings like sure. that, they're never shown. <laughs> sure, they're, sure, sure. Out of respect for the, for the husband as well. If yeah. you want to keep peace in your family, you, res you respect the parents. Yeah. And that's what, how we were brought up. You yeah. know, with that Italian background, but back over in Italy, particularly in with older generations, the mothers, whether they're mother or mother-in-law, are highly respected. Yeah. So. I, I know in the East, I um, worked with quite a few guys at a cafe who were Nepali. They, like, worked in the cafe, and they used to say, you know, you can say anything about me. Like, you can call me a dog, you can, you know, like, whatever. You say anything about my mother, I'll kill you. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's it, yeah. Like, yeah. So, like, that's in the East as mm. well, you know, which is mm. really fascinating. So, I think, like, one thing that I really loved that came out of, yeah, this this sort of like these three reflections was Sharon sort of focus on this idea of like a village. Mm. Mm. And I think that like, she did a really clever job at like weaving how there's been different moments in her life where this finding a community, a village has not only been so fundamental for her, but for like her faith. And I'd love to hear like your guys reflections on what role do you think sort of mums and maternal figures play in like creating a community, a village? Well, I think, you know, um, being a mum, um, you've got the responsibility of not only looking after children physically, but also guiding them in, you know, how they, they turn out as adults. And ultimately they'll make their own decisions in the long run. But I think um, for me growing up as a kid, particularly, you know, with a Catholic background, um, you know, we were we held Saint Mary, mm. Jesus' mother, in high esteem. Obviously, mm. the mother of Jesus. We were, you know, called her Our Lady, mm. Holy of Holies. Sort of, you couldn't compare yourself to to Mary. Um, she's a saintly figure, and and you just you could never compare to that. Mm. But I think, growing up with Catholic um, family, 
and um, you know seeing how mum respected Mary Our Lady mm. and how um, you look after the family you you know you you guide them you you do your best for them mm. you know no it's good that's good um, I think that's where you look up and you, you can never compare yourself to Mary as the ultimate mother, but there are similar things that Mary did that we as mothers do today. Yeah. Look mm -hmm. after our children, raise our children. Um, you know, we, we do everyday things that make a big difference in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. that's, how, that's how I look at it. Yeah. What's really cool about Mary, we were chatting about this earlier, is that she was just a mum. Yeah. Like, that's probably the thing we forget about. Is yeah, that she understood what it was like to and give birth and to yeah, nurse a baby. Especially as a little kid, you know, you'd walk into the Catholic churches, there'd be the statues, and you, you'd sort of, um, you know, you'd, you'd bow, you'd pray, and you think, but you, there was no relatable. Like mm. she was up here, and we were sort of just little kids that highly respected the mother of Jesus. But mm. as a mother, and even as a grandmother. Um, there are things every day that we're just ordinary women, but mm. we do extraordinary things to shape Amen. these little people Amen. into the, the adults that they become. Yes. And hopefully continue to influence not only our children, but our grandchildren as well. Mm. You know, and how we talk, how we, how we treat each other, um, you know, even just being a good example of, you know, being a good Christian mum, praying for them and, and you know, just, just being there for mm. them. Mm. You know, they're little things, but make an, can make an extraordinary difference to a little person. Mm. And, like, we were kind of even talking about the other day how I think that Protestants can be a little guilty of, like, throwing Mary out with the bath <laughs> yeah. water of the Reformation. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, she's like she gave birth to God. <laughs> yes. It's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Sorry, I cut you off. You're going to say Oh, something. no. I was just going to say that, like, we're often the product of who we surround ourselves with. Mm. So, like, you know, if you if you grew up in the Catholic Church, there's often, like, a community of women, a community of mothers who kind of band around you. Or if you, you know, for myself, like, I always look to my girlfriends, especially the girls that um, also have kids similar mm. age to Asher and Hazel. Um, and we really kind of unite ourselves with how we do life. We just talk. Being a woman, we are, you know, I and... I am guilty of this. We often let our emotions kind of rule mm. um, some of the decisions we make. So not always, um, but I think it's, you know, our kids are a product of who, who we are, who mm. we are as parents. They can make the decision to choose to grow up like us mm. or choose to be something different. Yeah. I know there's things that my parents did. I'm like, oh, I don't want to be that. Mm. Um, but actually without even realizing it you know i've become that yeah. and uh, you know in hindsight it's actually a really beautiful thing to mm. say you know i actually gained this trait from my parents their yeah. caring kind nature their supportive nature the value of a dollar the mm. you know the way in which we kind of you know and so like going back to the village you know um question we were you know we are surrounded by incredible people around us. Mm. Our grandparents, our mothers, our friends, our girlfriends, our boyfriends. <laughs> um, you know, like we, we want to surround our kids in particular with people that we want them to grow up to be like. Mm. Um, but also as parents who believe in, in Jesus, we also mm. want our kids to grow up to be 
loving Christians, but that's ultimately their choice as well. So mm. it's a tricky, it's a tricky dynamic, but it is really beautiful in the way that sometimes we as parents don't always reflect Christ well. Mm. Um, but we have knowledge because we've put ourselves in a community of other Christians mm. that they actually might be the person who reflects Christ in a better way mm. than we ourselves can do it. Mm. So, you know, it's powerful. Yeah, mm. I think sometimes too we can be very hard on ourselves as mothers. Mm. We try to get everything right or, or if um, a child or an adult child makes a decision that, you know, you've done your best to guide them in the yeah. best possible way. Um, you know, ultimately, like we were saying before, it's, it's their choice what they do. You can only do your best to guide mm. them in the right direction but I think sometimes we we can wear their bad decisions and think where did we stuff up along the way mm. when um, you know ultimately it's their choice yeah that's sort of an interesting thing that Carrie like touched on her reflection of this idea of um, this movement right of the seasons of like motherhood mm. and like you know I almost again think of this idea of like at a certain point Mary had to sort of like let go of Jesus mm. And just like, I mean, the ultimate idea of, you know, gee, having to watch him on the cross, you know, there's a lot of suggestions that she was definitely there. Mm. Pretty horrific thing to have to say. And yeah, I mean, like, I suppose I'd like to hear from you, Ange, like, mm. as, as someone who now has adult children, mm -hmm. how do you sort of like navigate that tension of still wanting to, like, they're still your babies, right? Mm. But then having to at some point, release yeah let go in some capacity i um I, both ian and i we, we um we raise confident kids mm. you know they're smart kids they're and they're good kids uh, and i shouldn't call them kids because they're in their 30s now but um we did the best we could to raise them and once they were out there really we had to let them go and find out for themselves mm. they know the difference between right and wrong and choices and things like that but we really had to let them find out for themselves. Um, so the interesting days were when they were at university and, and going out and working in corporate where, you know, you've got other influences and things like that that come into their lives. Um, so you can advise, mm. but you can't tell them what to do. Mm. Ultimately, they make the choice in which direction they're going to take. But thankfully, um, I've watched my kids growing from uni students to going out there, getting married. They were blessed with really beautiful partners um, and having their own families. And at now, when you're in your 30s, to see them actually coming back to the Lord and, and serving at church and mm. teaching their children about Jesus, I think all those prayers and, mm. and that, that teaching has come to, to fruition like the in the right direction mm. um, you know you can't you can't say you can't do this you can't do that sometimes you want to knock them on the head because you see that their direction or their the choice isn't the best mm. but they've got to find out for themselves you've got to mm. let them go mm. and that's one thing uh, Ian and I have always done is to let them go mm. and find out for themselves because ultimately you know we're not always going to be around and they're adults now mm. and they're now starting to, to guide their children mm. as well, which is, is beautiful to see. Mm. That's a really, actually a really hard thing to do as a parent is to actually know when to step back. Mm. Um, I know with our experience with Asha and just teaching him fundamental skills of life, um, that we've really had to let him fall. We've had mm. to let him yeah. scrape his knee. We've had to let him 
navigate that foundational building on his own. Mm -hmm. Um, We can do it with the softening of pillows and cushions around him. But, you know, for example, when we were encouraging him to just sit on the floor, we had like 20 different pillows around him. So we'd minimise the blow, but there'd still be a blow if he fell over, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's a really like, you know, any parent, um, you know, who has had to kind of be able to, take that moment to be able to step back is a really powerful thing mm. because there's times when you really really as Ange said you really don't want to mm. and you really want to just be like ah, I see yeah. what you're doing is wrong because I see it I've seen it in my own life yeah. I've seen my parents probably go like and I've had conversations with my mom and my dad going what did you feel when I was doing that like mm. how did you navigate this and they're like well, we have to just let you be yeah um and it's a you know I'm very blessed to have incredible relationship with both my parents and my Mm in-laws and but like I know that's not the case for everyone as Mm -hmm. well so you know it's like making mistakes within the safety of a a loving Mm -hmm. community Mm. is incredibly powerful too Mm -hmm. yeah yeah oh I was gonna I was actually reflecting a bit fatherhood like but with like kids making sure that they yeah like Asher my wife fears was being a helicopter parent. I remember talking to a psychologist mm-hmm. about that because of just what he's been through. And the part of me is like, but I want him to function in life. There's no point babying him. Mm. So he's like a five-year-old that can't do anything. Mm. And yeah, that is part of letting go. And actually trusting God. I guess like, oh, he'll get there. I know I gave my parents lots of sleepless nights. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had to just trust in that. Mm. And so, yeah, that's... Yeah, we were actually saying this before. They're not our kids, they're God's kids. That's right. I've always considered myself as like just the caretaker. Mm. Blessed to be able Mm. to have given birth to two kids, Mm. but to actually realise that I'm the caretaker. They're they're not really, they're not mine totally, they're God's, Mm. you know, and handing them over and just letting him do his thing with with their life and Mm. just trusting that he, you know, he's got them in the palm of his hand. Mm. What I really loved about the service on Sunday is I think that there was a real honouring of um, maybe mothers outside of like the conventional sort of biological, you know, sort of mother. Um, And there were definitely like some um, sort of different ones that were honoured. I just wanted to clarify something. Uh, Rach, at the start, you sort of um, honoured a bunch of different mothers yeah. um, and a bunch of different babies. And, and what, what exactly is, is the phrase rainbow baby for those of us who maybe don't know? So um, in the last five to ten years, I think it's been, is that um, we want to celebrate uh, babies who we've lost um, in utero. And one way we do that is by calling them a rainbow baby. So um, when a mum or a woman goes through a miscarriage, you celebrate that birth by saying, well, that's a storm you've walked through and now we're going to see the rainbow and the beauty of Mm. you maybe giving birth to another child. So acknowledging the life that you carried Mm. um, because a lot of women miscarry actually with their first child. Mm. Um, That is a very common journey. And if you have been waiting for years and years and years to fall pregnant, that loss is something so incredibly difficult that you just you have to you you got to find ways to celebrate them Mm. as a as a human Mm. um you know they are now perfect with jesus Mm. um but to be able to celebrate that and go well yeah now i've got a rainbow baby and then acknowledge that you know that's your you're now having your second or your third child or 
any way in which it happens. Mm. But yes, no, it's not something, not something. Um, yeah, no, it's just. Yeah, probably more our generation. Yeah, it's our generation. Yeah. Yeah. because it was a lot more clinical. Yes, going back say 30, 40 years ago, it was um, it was like more like considered a a loss, yes, but more of a clinical like a procedure yeah. that you had to go through and. There was no real care for mums that did lose a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can speak th- through experience, obviously. Um, you feel very lonely and sometimes people don't talk to you because mm-hmm. they don't know what to say, which sort of makes it even worse. Yeah. So I'm really glad that it's come down this path where women can... And women are talkers. They need to share. They need to show their emotion, get their emotions out. So I'm really glad it's gone down that path of, yeah. of being able to talk about it and celebrating that little one um, and letting the mum know that it's okay, mm-hmm. that it's okay, that they haven't done anything wrong. Because I think what sometimes can happen is you automatically think, what, I, what did I do wrong to lose this little one yeah. when you didn't do anything yeah. wrong? Yeah. So I'm really glad that it's, it's come down this, this way where it can be spoken about and women feel cared mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. and loved it's and that they can try again. Yeah, it's a healing process, yeah. you know, like yeah. with any um, form of loss or grief, it's a, a way to process that mm. loss. And, um, you know, it's a really beautiful thing, as Angie said, you know, women are, most women are talkers yeah. and we verbalise our communication, mm. which is where also community comes into play, mm. being surrounded by other other women, other men in your life who mm. can kind of support you and, and guide you. And I think, you know, we look at the Bible and we see that, it's really important that you are surrounded by people who are like-minded, who are mm. able to walk your journey with you, to be, to be, you know, um, lights on a hill, to be, you know, people that you kind of mm. do life with, mm. because that mm. also gives you accountability, and gives mm. you strength. There's strength in numbers, you know. Mm. I'm thinking of all the different one-liners and puns and all that sort of stuff yeah. that come with that. But, you know, God doesn't call us to do life alone. No. Um, and so when something like this happens, yeah. um, and you could even talk about it for, you know, mums and, and um, dads who have actually gone through the physical loss mm. of losing a child, mm. um, you, never, you never move beyond that. Um, mm. I can't talk from experience, but from many conversations with friends around, like, having stillbirths or having mm. kids that you've lost later in life, you know, we really need to be celebrating their lives yeah. that was lived, that yeah. were lived, um, and acknowledge the pain that comes with that. It, mm. You, um, one friend is you don't your grief never gets smaller. It's what you do around that grief that mm. grows. You know, you still have this whole. Uh, one of my friends gave me this beautiful image. I might try and find it and send it to Murray so mm. we can share it somehow. Mm. Um, around grief but your grief never changes it's always the same size it doesn't diminish but the way in which you can live through life grows Mm. Um, and I think that's where you know Christ comes in as well so yeah and you spoke about you know a village yeah it takes a village to raise children and I should have mentioned the women that I had around me being very much the Italian families, mm. whether they were aunties uh, and, and relatives that came over from Italy with, with mum and dad and, and things like that, you know. They're very caring, very um, motherly figures, very, um, you know, uh, supportive, but also they wanted to teach you everything, tradition and, and all of that type of thing. And I, 
I think they really instilled in me and my sisters, particularly um, the the like the traditional way that that um, mothers are treated over in in Italy and and how you look after your your family and that's that is your role. Forget about working outside the house or anything like that. For them, it was you need to look after your family first. So um, yeah, they were and they were lovely women, lovely women. So. Yeah, it's really interesting that the biblical model of family is um, ho- like a whole generation living under the same yeah. roof. It's a very Western thing to just have, yeah, mum and dad, yeah. kids, and the kids move out. Yeah, It's almost like, like praise, oh, the kids have moved out finally, we have our freedom. <laughs> where, yeah, Daniel Block, he, he uses the term patricentric. That's how Israelite society was. It was centred around the patriarch, mm. but that didn't mean that they diminished women like you had all these generations living. Mm. So, yeah, you had granddad, uncles, aunts, grandma, everyone there living under the same roof to really have that village. I guess that's the, the thing I love about the church is that we're families because there are mm. a number who don't have... Either mum's mm. not around or they had terrible mums. Mm. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Yeah, either Mother's Day is a difficult day or just mm. just is meaningless. So you can have spiritual mums mm. and spiritual grandmas mm. and spiritual aunties and mm. all that. And so mm. that's what we're called to do mm. as a family mm. in Christ. And we sort of um, always are, are talking about, <clears throat> you know, God the Father. And I think that that's such a powerful image. I think that for me, something that's been really helpful is like that maternal side of God that like is spoken about in scripture, Mm. you know, like one thing which blew my mind was the like word for like Holy spirit in like the Hebrew is actually like a female, like sort of, yeah, yeah. it's a feminine, it's a feminine, like, you know, and yet like then it gets translated by a bunch of white guys into like, you know, he and all this. And like, it's interesting, even then you go into like the Holy spirit in Greek and it's neuter, like it doesn't have like a gender. And it's this idea like that I think we miss out on a like whole side of God's, you know, just expansive love mm-hmm. when we only view the sort of um, male characteristics of love mm-hmm. and sort of, you know, like in Job, it talks about, you know, God giving birth in his womb mm-hmm. to like the frost of heaven and, you know, all these beautiful maternal images that like we are robbed of if we only focus on the paternal side of God's love. Proverbs, Lady Wisdom. Yeah. It's meant to be the personification of God's wisdom is as a woman. Yeah. Instead of thinking of sensual women, think of Lady Wisdom. Mm. That's who you should be reflecting on, i.e. Yahweh's wisdom. Yeah. And and that's connected in with Proverbs 31. Mm. Here's Lady Wisdom, Dame Folly. Here's a practical application of Lady Wisdom, mm. the woman of noble character. Mm. And I guess, too, if we're made in God's image, then surely women are going to reflect the... Yeah. And I was reading somewhere, women do reflect the creative aspects of God mm. by giving birth. Totally. It's this mystery. Mm. Yeah, human beings were created as one, then became two, and then they become one again mm. in childbirth. Mm. Or I should say pregnancy. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's this deep mystery. It's pretty amazing. I was literally talking to a friend who is about to give birth to her daughter and I was like, what is she going to look like? What is your, like, they know they're having a girl, yeah. but, you know, how do you, like, how incredible is that? Is mm. that we do become one again mm. and we're all of a sudden, we have this mystery of, 
are they going to look like mum? Are they going to look like dad? Or are they going to be a blend of the two? Like, we've got red hair in our side. And I was like, neither of us have red hair, but it's a recessive gene. And I think that's really beautiful around, you know, when earth is formed, like Mm. when, when Genesis starts, you know, it's a real mystery of what it's going to look like. Mm. How does the world become the world you know, yeah, you know yeah. what i mean like well, yeah, yeah. yeah you're both looking at me like no, 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 no. and look no. even childbirth in a sense um i use a big word eschatological you know yeah, what that means I know what that yeah means. eschatological end time it's apocalyptic because like the end of the world is described as like childbirth mm. and so even the pain of childbirth it's something terrible that leads to something good and even jesus says about this you know a woman you know in labor Forgets about her pains once a child's born. There's mm. this, and so even that every every child that's Rach is laughing. Do you did you forget about the pains of your childbirth? <laughs> no, it lived with me for a while, but still is a thing to this day. It's a, but, slow, yeah, it's no, a slow forgetting. Yeah, no, but like but it's the, worth you, it. The pain. No, the euphoric feeling that you yeah, feel yeah. when Bub is finally into the world and yeah. breathing this air is is, mm. is definitely that. But yeah. it's you know yeah you, yeah yeah. yeah. Like, but what was I saying? Oh, yeah, the point is that, like, the world's going through childbirth right now, yeah. birth it, and then eventually there'll be something brand new. Yeah. When you have a new earth, the, Jesus is the husband, and then there's a bride with the church. And so, yeah, even though each birth, it's like a little mini apocalyptic sort of image of, like, yeah, okay, this is just a sign of what the world... But then something good comes out of it. It's a child. Mm. So that's really cool there. And only women can do that. Only mothers Absolutely. can do that. So. Yeah. I think, like, it's interesting as well, like, when you talk about childbirth. Um, it was, like, actually, like, a Tim Mackey thing recently where he was talking about that sort of, like, classic passage in the start of Genesis where, like, God says to Eve, like, you shall have great pains during childbirth. He's like, well, actually, like, it's not a great translation. Mm-hmm. Like, if they wanted to, like, say childbirth, like, they could have used a complete other root word. Like, the, the better translation of that is, like, during conception. And he goes, like, if you, like, follow the rest of the story of Genesis, like, these female characters time and time again all through the rest of Genesis, like, they have great pains due to their struggle to fall pregnant, you know? And I think that it's really beautiful and important that, like, we've sort of, like, just breached on that today because ultimately, like, it's such a thing that God sees and such a thing that, like, Scripture does explore. And I think something that, yeah, maybe with that different translation we've we've missed in the focus of genesis that you know as much as the pains of physical childbirth itself are so obviously immense the most probably immense pain that most women are going to experience in their lives it's this other part of you know living in this world where trying to bring life into is 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 so painful as well for so many people and i just think it's beautiful that we're able to to really touch on that today I've got a final question for you guys. You got a time machine. You go back to the moment that you found out that you were pregnant. Mm-hmm. What is the advice that you give to your soon-to-be self as a, as a mother? Nothing. <laughs> um, I, I no. I've been. I've, I've thought about this sort of thing for so many different things in my life, and. I look at it and I go, I have to go through the journey that I went through to be the mum I am now. Like I have to, like I remember after we found out Asha's heart, congenital heart defect, I called my dad up on the phone and I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't have said I'm a crier. Um, 
And I was bawling my eyes out to dad and going, how am I going to live with a child that has such a big medical issue? How am I going to survive if we do end up losing him? What are we going to, like, how do we face these decisions? Um, And here I am four years down the track and you just do what you got to do. Like, as great as it would have been to go back then and be like, you know, prepare your heart, prepare your walk, prepare all of this sort of stuff. Nothing can prepare you. And it's not only made me as a mum stronger, but it's also made my relationship with Jesus stronger. It's made my relationship with my husband better. Mm-hmm. No, that's not the case for everyone. Mm-hmm. Like this sort of thing can tear families apart. But for us, mm-hmm. we are so blessed. Mm-hmm. And I had to go through every emotion, mm-hmm. every process to get to this point, you know, it took us a few years to fall pregnant with Asha and that was hard in itself. Mm. And then to be faced with that and being like, you know, I've said to my friends, if you'd asked me five or six years ago, if I ever thought I could handle being a mum of a child with not only a quite complex medical condition, but also a disability, Mm. I'd be like, Nah, Jesus, God doesn't have that plan for me. Like I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have like a healthy, wealthy and you know, great child. <laughs> you know. Sorry, I just love the wealthy part. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, so that's, that's our retirement plan. Our I'll kids will just you know, yeah, get rich and yeah. we just yeah. reach yeah. off there. Yeah, yeah. Um, pastoring doesn't pay well. Yeah, But like but that's it, like, you know, it, you know, here we are today and I am I am and inc- like toot my own horn, toot toot. I'm an incredible mum. Yeah. I love being a mum to both my beautiful babies. Yeah. Um, yes, some days I want to tear out my hair, yeah. um, but it is a journey. It's a process. Mm. You know, everything in life is a journey, mm. and we wouldn't be here today talking about what we're talking about mm. without the process that we go through and the people that we're surrounded by. So, mm. yeah. yeah. What about you, Angie? I think. For me, I was 26 when I had Manny. Um, I think if I had advice for my younger self was don't expect to be perfect mm. at everything. Um, you know, just day at a time. Mm. Be thankful that you had, you know, a happy, healthy little bubby in, in, mm. in Manny's case and Jessie's case. Um, and just, you know, try and enjoy it. Yes, there's going to be days where, like Rach says, you're pulling your hair out. You know, you, you get weed upon, pricked upon, vomited upon. That's you a feel, good day. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly right. But it, that comes with this little this little bump. And I think rather than be hard on yourself and try to be a perfect mum, just to be grateful for each day that you get through it. Mm. You've got you, your little one's okay and safe. You can provide for your little one. Um, and that you're doing a good job. You know, not to be so hard on yourself for that and you're going to try and have a clean house and everything's going to be perfect. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not. But just to, um, you know, to be um, proud of yourself that you got through day at a time, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I relate to a lot of what Rach said that, um, you know, you, uh, you enjoy the ride and each child is different. Mm-hmm. Maddie was very different to Jess. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, that... We raise them the same, but they're totally different people. Mm. So I think, yeah, advice to my younger self, just enjoy the ride. Mm. You know, you're going to have your good days, you're going to have your bad days, but be thankful for each day. Mm. So good. 
Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I like don't want to embarrass you guys, but I think you're both feeling like a little bit apprehensive. But like, honestly, yeah. no need to. You guys <laughs> nailed it. Yeah. Such a good. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna throw it out there. Maybe best episode banter. Oh yeah, probably. so far. Uh, Mitch. Yes. We are getting back into our shape oh, series yeah. this Sunday. Uh, what are you sharing with us this week? Spiritual gifts part two. Part two. Part two. So little, we're gonna look at the New stuff. Testament. Alright. Look at the passages in the Bible that talk about spiritual gifts and encourage people to be using them for the so kingdom. Good. And do, do we have a teaser? Do we teaser? Uh... I've had a teaser all week. <laughs> no, 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 no. But no, you can tell when he's super excited to talk about something because he comes in and be like, "Did you learn? Did you know this? Did you learn what about this?" Awesome. Yeah. So be yeah. prepared. It's going to yeah. be awesome. Anyways, pressure is on. Pressure is on. Thank you. Yeah, the teaser really is, uh, I don't know, it's good thanks. I just, I'm going to be looking probably at some gifts that maybe not be the more romantic spiritual gifts. We often think of like gift of administration is actually important. Super important. Yeah, yeah. Like, so looking at Corinthians and actually seeing how it's Paul actually puts tongues at the last gift mm. so that's yeah interesting where mm. the corinthians were elevating those the superior gift mm. so yeah and also to trying to destroy that dichotomy between you know spiritual and physical it's all mm. spiritual yeah in some sense everything's spiritual everything's spiritual <laughs> everything's god-given everything's supernatural so, so good yeah. well yeah, guys thank, thank you so much for joining us pleasure look forward to seeing you all sunday yeah yeah Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.